Welcome to Communion and Shalom. In this podcast, we are exploring how the biblical and historic Christian faith can engage sexuality, ethnicity, culture, and our local communities as we pursue the flourishing of God's kingdom. Our goal is to engage these topics charitably and with nuance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Communion and Shalom. We're glad to have you joining us today. This episode, TJ and I are coming together to talk about where we see unity in the side B world, the side B community, and where we see division. Often where it's thought to be kind of a monolith. In my circles, I hear people say, oh, side B theology. What does that mean? What is, what is there mean? a united side theology? Uh, hello, everyone. This is TJ. I think we're going to especially revolve around the key question for this episode, what ideas unite and divide the side B community? And from there, we're going to pursue the particular topics or points or conversations that seem to both unite us and sort of divide us, or at least places we're not on a common, not like in rhythm with each other necessarily. Yeah. In early October, I was just at Revoice and it's a really sweet time together and also a really just obvious demonstration of the diversity in both some, I guess, maybe expected ways or like really great ways where it's, you know, you have like people coming from around the globe, you have someone from New Zealand, you have actually more than one person from New Zealand, people from South America, et cetera, et cetera. But also, you know, the different cultures that not only those that are coming from the ethnic communities, but different religious backgrounds, church backgrounds, theological positions, other kind of ways that they might approach certain social issues. There's a lot of diversity. And so mm. it's not just a big old bubble of people who say the same thing, even within the kind of speakers from the stage, you can hear some, oh, that kind of rubs against what this other speaker said in mm. some certain ways that I wonder if those two speakers have some differences there. So I, I often where it's treated as this monolithic community, but in fact, it is a bit divided, but... Or diverse. Diverse. Like, so, some divisions, some diverse. It's both. Mm-hmm. And just for anyone who's listening who may not have heard of Revoice, Revoice is, pro- is probably the most prominent U.S. conference for side, the Side B perspective, right? I think it emerged in 2018. Is that right, Yeah, David, Frank? And we both attended to the, the first one and the second one. I think you attended the subsequent ones, but I have not attended the subsequent ones after. So, yeah. Anyways, it... I think it emerged, I think, in part because there wasn't a lot of common meetings or events for side B people because of the other Christian organizations that were engaging Christians who were queer, LGBT, SSA, whatever. They usually have their side A now, basically, right? So, which is, yeah, Revoice, it makes it such a, a fun space because there, there are so few conferences. You know, like if you want to go to a, a theology conference, you can mm-hmm. go to one, I assume, from basically like every denominational background. But if you want to come to a community of not straight people talking about sexuality and living out their lives in faithfulness to Jesus, there's not that many in that camp. And there's basically only Revoice that is holding conferences on Mm -hmm. such large scale where they're also what we call side B because there are side X, maybe a side Y 
ish like mini conferences around this definitely mm-hmm. side a events but is there any side b so we've talked about kind of side b before but if we're thinking more kind of line by line tj what what things are uniting the side b community in their how they're thinking ideologically yeah yeah so let's talk through these this was i've been reflecting on this in preparation for this episode and these are sort of the ideas that emerged as I was thinking about this, doing some reading, just trying to put the pieces together. In general, as a preface, I would say I see us as sort of a loose coalition or like we're a loose confederation around a few key ideas. And this sort of interweaves some beliefs, sensibilities and practices all together in these particular things we're going to talk about. So should we call it the confederate communities of the side B world? Maybe we should, except that sounds bad in U.S. English <laughs> because of the, the history of the, the past of the Civil War in the U.S. But anyways, so key, obviously, one of the key things that unites us is we 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 are united around what we might call the historic Christian sexual ethic, the traditional biblical sexual ethic, the Catholic Christian sexual ethic, whatever word you might say. But basically, the idea that same-sex sex misses the mark of God's intention of design for human beings it's something to be repented of and marriage and thus sex is meant to be between one man and one woman in a covenant of marriage for their lives. Right. That's obviously something that unites us and sets us in up. Op- I don't know. sets us in opposition, I guess, or in contrast, at least to side a perspectives. Mm-hmm. We, another key thing that we have focused on a lot is celibate vocation should be honored and upheld in the church. That's an important part of side B because many said B people are celibates just as they try to live out sexual faithfulness to God. Not everyone, of course, but many. And I think the other sides are often a little bit more skeptical of celibacy compared to side B. Another, a third point, generally there is more of a willingness to have a more nuanced evaluation of queer sexuality. You can even listen to our, our a recent sort of podcast we had about the gifts of being queer. This is kind of in that line. We're willing to ask questions if there's any goods in being queer. And that's different, especially from side Y and side X. And part of that is there's generally a willingness to also consider queer culture as maybe having good elements rather than just being like, rather than just being a very negative, very anti-Christian, very degenerate or whatever word you might use sort of subculture. We're willing to ask the questions. And we're basically, this is basically contextualization. Like I, in my opinion, side B is trying to pursue a contextualized version of the faith in our context related to these topics. So we're going to ask the questions. So you're talking about, yeah, this general openness to more nuanced evaluation. I was just thinking about how some first time revoicers, Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that really stuck out to them of like, whoa, Mm -hmm. I was just happy to come to a conference where I could be honest about not being straight. I didn't uh-huh. even think I'd be like at a conference of seeing my sexuality in in an alternative light that doesn't just allow me to be honest about the brokenness, but mm-hmm. opens up the door to think about, are there some other tangential or connected goods to not mm-hmm. being straight, to being gay or something? Definitely. Um, definitely. So it is, it is something that is definitely present in the side B community, though there are those who maybe haven't spent a lot of time about it and are still hesitant because it feels side a ask to not focus on the sin part because they are trying to remain committed to that traditional biblical sexual ethic. 
that's true. And this obviously puts us in contrast to side Y and side X schools of thought. But as you said, more similar to side A, like more side A related in this way. Which is what makes, so. I think, for a lot of the, yeah, the tension that the side B worlds, because we're in nuance between like, yes, there are some moral things that we have to, you know, uh-huh. lay down the law on or yeah, something. Yeah. But there's more complexity here than just saying, you know, turn it all over and forget about it. That's right. Kind of, I think a fourth, fourth point, side B, and this one has more complexity than the others, but we're typically open to the idea that same-sex sexual orientation is not morally culpable as a sinful action. So just having the same sexual orientation is not morally culpable <laughs> as sin. Though this one is com- this one is complex, and you'll hear more about this later. And but, not to get too deep yeah. in the theological weeds, but mm-hmm. Presbyterians would make a big distinction between not morally culpable as a sin versus mm-hmm. morally culpable as kind of like capital S sin, huh. which is related to larger theological questions about how does our culpability, our responsibility relate to the fact that we just have this indwelling sin that breaks us, corrupts us, misdirects us, even Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at a like pre-conscious level. It's just part of our kind of internal waywardness or resistance to God at times. Mm -hmm. And that is what Presbyterians will often call kind of this biggest sin that Mm -hmm. indwells us, but different from a sin, a specific sinful action that you commit. So yeah, that's why there's, Open to, typically open to the idea of what TJ said, mm. but definitely nuanced in the Presbyterian world, and it's articulated differently than... Yeah. Some, some other traditions probably are similar, but some other traditions also in the school, they would just focus on the... Like, having the temptations would not be sinful, they might say, but falling into lust or actually sinful actions are the things yeah. that are repent, worth repenting. Yeah, so we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But fifth one, side B is... Another major pillar of side B is we say Christians can make prudential judgments or ju- wise judgments about identity terms they might use. Yeah, that's a big one. Like SSA, LGBT, queer, whatever. We have no prescriptive way that we say you must talk about this. And this sets us in contrast to typically side Y and side X, especially side Y, who really like this is one of their, the key things they always revolve around identity terms. So side B does not say it's a prudential judgment and that's a good way to give a discipleship way of discipleship for Jesus. And then a final thing that unites us, in my opinion, is we're opposed to conversion therapy, quote unquote. And basically the idea that someone does not need to become straight and a person does not need to repent their way into being straight. That the goal of the Christian life is holiness and walking, following Jesus more than straightness. And straightness is not necessarily a goal at all. It's not a goal at all. This one has a big complexity because how we define conversion therapy is contested. And especially as more and more communities, for example, in the U.S., they start to make laws around conversion therapy, quote unquote. There's some complexity in this, but that's generally a thing that unites us. And that's in opposition to side X. That puts us in contrast to side X perspectives. So, yeah, I think we both agree those are key pillars. And, well, we have these common principles, pillars that unite us. There's also many things that we're not united around. And again, these are both differences and actually divisions. 
I want to share a brief story about this. So we have a mutual friend. He's actually a member of David Frank's church. And we went, we were at a Preston Sprinkle conference together, who's like a straight ally of the side B community. And he does conferences on sexuality and gender, other things, but those two. We were at a conference together and we're talking about the trans experience because part of the conversation was about the trans experience and gender. And he asked me, like, oh, what does side B think about trans experience? Like, what, what is how, what's happening there? And I said, well, we think a lot of different things. You know, there's not a unity around this topic necessarily. And he was like, why, why not? <laughs> Don't you guys want to have a united position on this? And after thinking about that, I was thinking, well, there's so many differences that we don't have. There's so many differences that would not make us be united on some topics like this, right? And I think it's helpful to realize that we can still be united, but also have these differences or divisions. So his story kind of put in me this this way of, well, I guess we're being perceived as a very, very coherent, cohesive school of thought. And what we are a school of thought, we're not necessarily that. We're not a, thought, we're not a school of thought that has a united like statement of faith on all points or something, whatever you might see united as being. We're not that. So, okay, but we are united. But we'll say more about that in a second. But some, here's our, these are some kind of key differences that I've thought about that we have among us overall. First, a lot of our key differences actually emerge from, from different traditions. As a few minutes ago, you heard David Frank talking about a certain way that Presbyterians consider sin and same-sex sexuality as an orientation that might be sinful. This obviously emerges from different theological belief sensibilities and practices that are prior to our side B beliefs and opinions or integrated with them or something. But our different traditions really shape how we think about this. There's the Catholics, Anglicans, Presbyterians, the free church people, Wesleyans, Orthodox, you know, Lutherans, they're all, we have many different traditions and that shapes how we engage these questions quite a bit. And let me say the Presbyterians brought the heat at Revoice. <laughs> they had, I think that's true. Greg Johnson and Misty Irons back to back and it was intense. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely admired their contributions to the Revoice. I, I watched them later online. Yeah. I admired their work a lot. Their, their sharing it was great. Another thing, another different example of this, some traditions would still maintain celibacy as a vocation or call that's kind of a common part of the church, like Catholics or Orthodox. They engage these conversations differently than most Protestants who got rid of all celibate vocations, you know, like over time. So, I mean, there's just I these differences are pretty important. That's been one of the things that so. the side B world has mm -hmm. forced itself to, well, a lot of the side B world, you know, has been like Protestant. But then, yeah, where they find this unity with side B Catholics, not just the uh -huh. unity of like, oh, yeah, we agree on all those things. But, oh, we actually kind of rely upon the Catholic tradition to True. to see this history of honored celibate vocations that just 100%. doesn't really exist in the Protestant tradition. There are some yeah. notable figures, John Stott, you know, who did live mm -hmm. celibate lives. But culturally and even theologically, it's not something that's really been focused on. So, yeah, in these different context, uh, different theological backgrounds, it's cool to see the cross-pollinating that happens. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you. Another big difference is we all come from different backgrounds or contexts, right? Like there's U.S. people, U.K. people, Australian people, people from various African countries, 
South American countries like Brazil, Kenya, South Africa, Singapore. Like there, there's people from all over who are kind of together with us in the broadly side B school of thought, but still our context leads to different beliefs, sensibilities, practices around these topics. For example, one thing I can say in like African contexts that I know and am part of, we don't say gay. And like we don't, like, you know what I mean? Our, our language politics are more close to side Y in the sense we won't say gay, but we're side B because we don't mandate. We don't mandate you must say same-sex attracted or whatever. So now we're side B, but we would not use the terms for ourselves. But in the but in the UK or the US, or whatever, there's a lot more openness to these terms, you know? Like, I don't know, there's, I think there's emerging data that in the US, like what, like 10, 15 to 20% of people, youth, sorry, youth, are willing to use some of these terms about themselves, like LGBT or whatever, or queer. And that's not the same in other parts of the world, for example. So that's a pretty big difference which shapes our shapes how we engage some of these questions which really connects to just this general like how do we relate to queer culture which is primarily uh -huh. a western creation yeah. yeah definitely i would say 100 percent. i mean it's emerging in other other parts of the world through globalization you know and as certain certain international political mm -hmm. actors start pressuring countries to adopt certain policies it's emerged yeah i was just at a steiger ministries event and steiger ministries i think actually focuses on the global youth culture and mm -hmm. they showed this picture of these i don't know late teens maybe 20 somethings in a coffee shop you know they made the photo black and white and they're just like what country do you think this is in and we had mm -hmm. guesses you know like south america you know and I think it might have ended up being Singapore. Was it Singapore or was it somewhere in the Middle East? Anyways, it was just like you could not tell based off hmm. of how their haircuts, their stylization, the clothes they were wearing, mm -hmm. that of what where they were because there's this global youth culture that is mm -hmm. just throughout the entire world through media, which is yeah. just kind of nuts. Anyways, that's just is fascinating to think about. You know these cultures that used to be so very different now youth are participating through their phones in like one mega culture mm -hmm. dominated by the u.s like if you go to a lot of african communities they try to dress as u.s people like u.s youth you know and yeah so i mean just saying yes 100 percent. and that's another key difference among ourselves you just mentioned relationship to queer culture queer subcultures probably but that this is one of the key differences i think that a lot of maybe even divisions in our in the side B community generally, we have a lot of different perspectives on how to relate to queer culture and how to engage like LGBT representation in media. A brief story. I, I like a series called Avatar Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. And this is a bit of a spoiler, so if you watch these shows, don't listen. But basically at the end of Legend of Korra, the main protagonist, Korra, she starts a relationship with another woman. And I won't say the name just in case <laughs> you don't want horrible spoilers. But that I didn't know how I felt about that as a side B person when I first watched it a couple of years ago. And yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'll just lay it out there. I'm, I lean more skeptical on relating to queer subcultures in the U S even though I still think it's a good, like a hundred percent. I think there can be goods in it, but I just lean more skeptical. And like, I think there may be goods, but I think there's a lot of potential problems at the same time. And you'll never hear me dismiss cultural engagement by any stretch of the imagination. 
Yeah, but like you still. What, I think there's complexities. So, would you, you do you say actually do you have a recommendation of what your favorite like quote unquote queer film is? Yeah, actually, but my, it's my favorite film of all time. So I'm just saying <laughs> it's called it's called Moonlight. It's LGBT related, and it's also my favorite film at the same time. So I'm trying to tell you I'm I'm in this tension, but I think a lot of us, many people in the community are in. They have differences or different perspectives or tension in how to relate to queer culture. And part of that is because I had not been around a lot of the U.S. queer subculture in my life, right? Like that's, I just, I had a, we had a podcast ago where I went to my first, what was it called? LGBT festival in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Queer pride parade, pride. So, I mean, it just hasn't been my life. And, but you know, yeah. as we think about some of these I mean, obviously, there's just like the global diversity, cultural diversity. But as we get into like the differences in how people feel about engaging in queer culture, mm -hmm. this is so much tied up to not just like, oh, cultural or theological background, but mm -hmm. very experiential for yeah. people in the side B world. If mm -hmm. even like side B, while one thing we're united about is <laughs> we're united about not being separated off of language but we very clearly and i don't know if it ever needs to be more clear do not want to push that upon people and are very okay with people saying ah that triggers stuff that i've tried to leave behind you know mm -hmm. if someone was in lesbian relationships and they stopped calling themselves lesbian after they left those lesbian sexual relationships the side B is not like, oh, no, you're denying something or other. Yeah. I would be like, okay. They're like, yeah, <laughs> like you fine. Can... Describe yourself as same-sex, sexually attracted, whatever you, you want. It's fine. That's fine. And yeah. so even people's relation to queer culture, queer film and media can often be less about, oh, I think that that's like a sinful action as much mm -hmm. as like, ah, where I'm at, that's not helping me deepen my roots in Christian faithfulness and knowing God and making that a central part of my life. And it's mm -hmm. too easily, you know, a distraction. Video games, honestly, are like that for me of like, I can't let, and this is about identification, but just participation in like video game culture. I kind of just have to keep it at an arm's distance so that I just don't get sucked into being addicted to video games because I'm just prone to <laughs> video game addiction. And I think there's, it's not like I I think Super Smash Brothers is a really phenomenal game, but mm -hmm. I actually just need to keep it a little bit distant from me. I was just telling my roommate. And and I think that's similar in some of these differences in side B community uh -huh. that depending on people's backgrounds or just where they're at in relating to the queer community, you'll see different postures. Yeah, and most definitely. And it will inform their ministry in some ways or just inform their life. Yeah, true. So true. Another key difference that I think is exists in our community is how we theologically evaluate side A beliefs and also side Y beliefs and maybe X to some extent. But you'll find in the side B community that we're not united on how necessarily they think we, if we're side B, we probably think side A has something wrong and side Y has something wrong about them. But you're not united on the extent of that, what that always is. Okay, side A maybe, 
by the extent of it sometimes or what it means for their Christian life. <laughs> uh, can we take like five or 10 minutes on this, TJ? Because sure. I, mm-hmm. I want to ask not just like, oh, like what are the differences? But like okay, largely we have different postures on side A or like how serious we think the side A beliefs are. But like mm-hmm. why, why is that? Where is this coming from? Do we have time to answer? Yeah. Like where, where does the, our differences in how we theologically evaluate side A and side Y come from? Yeah. Is that what you're thinking about? I have some thoughts. At least one is where we come from originally, you know. Some of us come from communities where side A is the most prominent perspective. Okay. Or we were side A previously. Some of us come from positions where side Y was the most prominent perspective. We were side Y originally. I'm the latter. I was more side Y as a young Christian, I guess. I didn't have the terms, but I would be, I was more like that. So so what so what did that mean? Like coming from side Y, does that make you more antagonistic to side Y or just saying, or that's actually why you're more hesitant or like, what does that, what does that mean? That, that's your background. So how does that inform your evaluation? I'm pretty, I'm not very sympathetic to side Y, but coming from a side Y perspective made me even more unsympathetic to side A than I would have been otherwise. I think that's how I see it. Um, so that's made you less sympathetic to side A than you think you might've been otherwise because you're already kind of grew up in a context where that was yeah. more or less a condemned position. Yeah, basically. I'm not, uh, these are, well, I've talked about this in another podcast, why I'm side B and not the other sides. So there's that. But I think part of it is the theological differences that we hold that are also raised on sensibilities. And in some ways I've been informed a lot of, in my life, a lot, a lot of my sensibilities have been formed by sensibilities towards truth as a high good. Mm. There's other higher goods in my opinion, but wanting to hold the truth of the faith passed on to the saints has been like an important part of my Christian discipleship. Sometimes too much, but like too, too high of a good that overshadowed other goods. And it's not my main orientation as like the goods I'm most oriented towards, but it's just been like that. So when I think of side A, I think of side A as, Notably not following certain revealed ways of living faithfully or ways that they should be following that should be not not difficult to understand. And the so the worship of truthfulness kind of coming from side Y backgrounds, which are often I would say more common in well, I don't know. There's probably Catholic and Orthodox versions of this as well. Mm-hmm. But I definitely see that in a lot of evangelicalism or fundamentalism that really focuses mm-hmm. on what's true. Yeah. So like you've toned down this like need for certainty on what's true. Definitely. But has that, how much has that tuned down your other things that you've probably like, Oh, I used to think this was really important, but that was just cause I thought we needed certainty and, you know, absolutely aligned doctrinal statements on everything. Mm-hmm. But with that gone, why do you still have a strong, or is that something that you've already answered in a podcast? I might've answered it, but I still have a side B belief, position, sensibility, because I think it's the most faithful and best account of all we know about what God has taught his church and how we see human beings existing in the world. And so what do you think is the position of those who are still side B, but Mm -hmm are kind of side a friendly they're like you choose if you decide to be side a 
I'll love and support you in that. I just don't think it's the best. It's maybe more similar to how certain churches, well, I won't try to give a comparison, but I would say that there's a spectrum inside B of those who are like, whoa, like, don't go, don't be side A. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's really dangerous uh-huh. versus others who will say that's n- the most important thing is for you to find kind of authenticity and integrity. And we think that should be inside B. But if you need to find, I don't know, is that is that the narration of those who are kind of open? I to think so. I, I think you narrated well the broad, like broad kind of bod differences on the spectrum. I shifted a bit over time, but I'm closer to the former, closer to like there's spiritual danger here based on what we know from the from the scriptures and the tradition and what we how we see human beings exist in the world. Like you so like don't walk this path. But at the same time I still I have side A friends, I still want to be their friend. I mean I I'm kind of in the middle in that way. But yeah, I I, as a, in my side B life, my side B sensibilities, I think we should, the churches should teach others to walk in faithfulness to God and avoid, avoid ways of life which lead you away from faithfulness to the living God. And that includes lots of things, economic, political, social, but also includes sexual. And that's what we're talking about right now. So, mm. yeah, that's why I process it. Yeah, I, I think I am similarly positioned to you mm-hmm. in that kind of spectrum of how big a deal is or how big of a gap is there between side a and side b and i something that I'm, i've articulated of sin is dangerous where there mm-hmm. are other theological or church practice differences about you know who should be doing what what do we have mm-hmm. priests do we not have priests a lot of those differences don't have issues on what is sin. Mm-hmm. And I believe just re- that like the gospel has led us into forgiveness. So we don't have to be like always worried of like, Oh no, am I sinning right now? Because like there's forgiveness readily available. And we are meant to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, very actively Mm -hmm. clothed, and that sin continues to be a threat to blinding us, to darkening us, to diminishing just the, the, like, Christ church being in this world that we want it to be. And I think Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, you, you will find some topic and they will agree, oh, yeah, like, abuse scandals in the church. Right. Uh We're not just like, well, you know, there's sin in the church and it's not a big deal. We're like, no, for the church, the place where you're supposed to find like your way home to God and your spiritual Mm -hmm. family, for that to be in a place of abuse, that Mm -hmm. is so wicked. Yeah. And and so like actual sin born out in the people of God, like it has real, as TJ said, spiritual danger. And Mm -hmm. There are, in a sense, you know, bigger sins and smaller sins, not not in regards sure. to whether Christ can forgive them, but mm-hmm. in regards to like their effects. And I, we can both look at that practically, I believe, but we can mm-hmm. also go to scripture and, and I, you to use spiritual danger because I think in scripture, it, it gives specific warnings towards certain sins mm-hmm. in different ways. And the the sin of same-sex sex, not same-sex 
dating or holding hands or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like we're like, nope, yeah. Bible doesn't condemn that. But it gives really strong warnings that I that like that's that's what leads me in my evaluation to taking those things seriously. And as uncomfortable as it is to to have a kind of a strong stance on it, I do it because I believe there's real spiritual harm. Yeah, I'm the same. But you will find if you listen to some of our past episodes where we engage side A voices, you will see I have we both, I think, have many similarities to side A people in some of our theological ideas or sensibilities. But we notably differ on this one. And part of that, I think, for me is I assume the Christian life of discipleship. I think Christians should be united in the truth. But some Christian many Christians are not able to explicate all that the church has taught over time, right? But even if even if you can't explicate or I can't explicate, I'm still called to life of holiness. And the fruits of the spirit are like kind of the the goods that I need to exemplify in my life, right? So even if I can't understand why same-sex marriage is I don't quite can't articulate ins and outs and everything, the call towards holiness and away from immor- sexual morality is still on me. And I still interpret that the the faith has, that has been taught to us is that same-sex sex is off the table or misses the mark. So even if, again, even if you can't understand all the in-depth conversations, we still need to live a holy life as much as we can. And of course, there's repentance if you fall and mm-hmm. people can turn around and walk in a new way of life. And that's holy and great. But I think that's how it is. And I think part of the difference, as you mentioned, is I think, I think it's dire enough where the stakes are high enough that I'm skeptical towards some of the side B perspectives that are just saying, well, at least you're being a, like, at least you're trying to follow Jesus and you're being authentic and that's fine. I think that's true and that's good. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not judging who's going to suffer God's wrath. Like that's not my role to judge in and out. I'm not a bishop. I'm not a priest, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'll say what I think, what I understand the scripture is teaching, what the church has been teaching. So, And I think that's a huge part is that we, you know, Jesus says, you know, kind of like more or less, like, don't judge. And mm-hmm. But he actually says, lest that same measure be brought back to you. And even more so, you just alluded to this. Oh, but does the church have the keys of the kingdom? Does the church actually have a need mm-hmm. to discipline appropriately? Yeah. And so folks who aren't like, both I'm not in an ecclesial position to mm-hmm. like be discipling them. So until they've been like excommunicated <laughs> in some mm-hmm. type of way, I can't like regard them not as my brother or sister, even if I really believe that they are wrong on this. And, oh, so I want to get back to what you were saying of you do not condemn them, mm-hmm. even if you believe that their actions are something that God says like that is condemnable and mm-hmm. might make a, you liable for like condemnation from God. So you will give them warnings, you know, mm-hmm. say, Hey, I think this is sin that you actually need to leave if they're engaging in sin. But that's very different from us holding ourselves judgmentally. Yeah. And so I, I feel like a lot of our, this is not just in this conversation, but a lot of our Christian culture, we so want to leave behind the legalism and judgmentalism that mm-hmm. maybe we've seen in the church or in our, you know, like faith forebears. We're like, oh, they're just so judgmental. And so I need mm-hmm. to stop being judgmental. 
but I feel like you can hold that together. You can stop being judgmental while also being without changing what you think is like really important in life. Yeah. In I fact, think so I think too. Rosaria Butterfield, <laughs> someone who critiques side B a lot, actually mm-hmm. practices this dynamic well with regards to people who are explicitly in same sex relationships. She actually probably makes a, a bigger deal about side B people and the way that she thinks mm-hmm. we're confusing things and doing like false teaching or something. But if she had, you know, like her lesbian neighbors who are in a lesbian relationship and have children, she would invite them over to their dinner table. She mm-hmm. d- doesn't think a sexual orientation framework is good. She doesn't think that those labels are helpful and she wants them to know Jesus. And, and then if they came to know Jesus and were like side A, she would still be like, bringing them over a table and saying, I love you. I care for you. And I think this is dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if I'm speaking clearly. That's helpful. Yeah. I think that's what you said is admirable. I'm probably more skeptical of was I about a field than you maybe, but I think what you said is admirable. Yeah, in terms of just this type of posture of being mm-hmm. able to, we don't have to skimp out on, on difficult ethical claims in order to be friendly and loving. I don't think so at all. Though, okay, like in in side B kind of community conversations, Mm -hmm. I think we we have seen people who are so stuck on trying to figure out what is true on this topic of side A, side B, that Mm -hmm. it does lead to like a spiritual spiral. Mm -hmm. And that, that distracts them from in a sense, trusting Jesus. I think there's something true about that. But I also say, I think, I think the, the stakes are high in the conversation too. Like what, where you end up, I think the stakes are high because it really impacts your life. So I'm not sure. Yeah. You might be right though. Well, yeah. And it, so it's just like, if someone is spiraling and like, Oh, what should I do? Side A, side B. Mm-hmm. I think someone would say, I think appropriately that question should be downplayed in the, or not downplayed, but basically like, should I pursue a same sex sexual relationship or not? Mm -hmm. That is, should never be the first question in our faith. The question is like, is Jesus Lord? Yeah. Do I, do I trust him? Does Mm -hmm. he love me? Does his sacrifice like apply to me? And mm-hmm. maybe growing up Christian, it's really easy to check box those answers because we know we're supposed to say yes. Yeah. And and I think that's why I've seen people who are what we might say at times, like more side A friendly compared mm-hmm. to us or something. They're trying to get people to just return to the more important faith questions. Yeah. And so they downplay that. But I, yeah, I... I, I well, part of this... Part of this is how we theologically evaluate the sexual ethics of the church in relation to the core, like the coreness of the faith. You know what I mean? I think you and I might think they're closer. But sometimes when I talk to others who are side B friendly, but maybe not side B exactly, they put them farther away from like the core. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. They think that question around is same sex sex, you know, moral or not moral, that that's like, oh, it's like a tertiary or fourth order degree question and i think we'd say like that's that issues on you know 
on this question, particularly as it relates to actual like sinful action, uh -huh. is a like second order issue. You know, first order yeah, Trinitarian, yeah. second mm -hmm. order highly important is around this. And I would say that yes, in the tier system, I would say it's like second order. And that and if we just to flip of where do we see a spectrum of kind of theological evaluation positionality with how people think about side Y beliefs mm -hmm. for a side B community that we see side a lot of side B people who are like, I'm side B Y. Those are the yeah. folks who are more mm -hmm. disconnected from queer culture. I don't know how much I really want to associate with gay queer language. And so I'm very, mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of side B Y they're in that range and they lean that mm -hmm. way. And others who I would say are more, well, this would be my guess. So those are people mm -hmm. probably like us who come from more of like side wide backgrounds. And so yeah. then they kind of are like inching their way into the side B world. They're like, oh, I guess we can talk about this more. Versus others who have experienced maybe trauma, abuse as a queer person. They mm -hmm. see, they associate the kind of side Y-ness or definitely side X with positions as this kind of neglect at the very least neglect of the queer community and so yes folks who we might say are more like side a b they still like oh i think side b is right i would agree with all those things tj said of what unites us as side b but mm -hmm. the real enemy isn't our side a people who are affirming the rights and dignity of queer people but the enemy mm -hmm. are people like side y and anyone who does not support queer people correct you're correct yes i think everything you said is right <laughs> and i but i when i when you describe that i find myself i don't know why i fit exactly but i find myself pretty in the middle of side b like i'm pretty skeptical of side y people but i'm also i'm definitely not side a as of now and i don't i don't know if i'm going to shift ever it's not my plan to shift so yeah <laughs> yeah it's a it's really it's like what kind of going back to the jonathan Hyde episode what are these different moral evaluations and claims that uh -huh. strike people most heavily? Is it, yes. is it this purity to to the faith? Uh -huh. Is it a sense of just active harm and injustice in this world? Is it an uh -huh. alignment with really seeing the spiritual harms that comes with, you know, following God's word or not following it? There's these uh -huh. different moral poles that, you know, we kind of, we asked, you know, what are the ideas that unite and divide the side B community? Mm -hmm. But a lot of this is, yeah, it's coming from people's backgrounds and, and their guts more than their minds. Yeah, you're right. You their know? guts, it's, it's, 100%. It's like, in my gut, I know I have to defend this. Yep. Kudos to you for bringing the moral psychology because <laughs> that's totally true. That's like the sensibilities. Like if you were raised, like if your sensibility of purity is so high, you probably engage it with this in a different way than if, as you said, the justice sort of fairness, harm, whatever is higher. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, especially like on online, you know, chatting or to, to get at these like deeply held gut reactions. And it included that I'd say like this global youth culture has a mm -hmm. gut reaction against condemnation. Like I'm almost like, uh, should I have yes. not even mentioned that word? Someone might've already turned off this episode because I even <laughs> said condemnation of sin. And that just triggered them into being like, mm -hmm. uh, these guys, TJ and David, are those types of people. They condemn. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, gosh, I hope I'm not seen as that type of person. That, yeah, it's like 
there's this huge aversion to to associating with anything that's associated with condemnation with you know mm-hmm. judging other people and mm. and that's the diff i think the strength of being a side b in this current cultural climate is being able to say hey yeah i have a traditional sexual ethic and i'm gay and like, wait, wait, does it mean you hate yourself or is something else going on here? Because <laughs> I've been told to associate that stance with judgment and condemnation and hatred uh-huh. but of your of the people that you just associated with. And so it forces uh-huh. people to like start to nuance that gut reaction. So much. And that's, it's, so all, much. it's like one of the main reasons I just continue to use queer identifying language is uh-huh. to challenge that gut reaction that sometimes oversimplifies itself. Not saying gut reactions are bad, like they can hit on some really important truths and help us yeah. stand behind them. But True. sometimes they're not nuanced. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there. So TJ, we, we don't have that much more time. What are a few more things that there's just some diversity or differences in how ideology in the side B world. Yeah. Another one, it is, these are kind of together, but one is, first of all, I'll mention is gender norms. We disagree to what extent gender norms are valuable. And I'm going to ask you to mention this briefly, but this also relates to the transgender experience. Maybe David Frank, you'll say something more about this in particular. Yeah, I think that it's really been interesting, specifically the revoice being a part of the side B world is just mm-hmm. seeing the ways that you have a lot of like, you know, gay people who are entering into the side B conversation and are just like, oh, great, we can like talk about sexuality. And then as revoice starts bringing up this gender component as well around trans experiences, a lot of people are like, oh, like, I, I don't know what to do with this. These are just radically different. And it's I mean, they're connected. Sex and gender are obviously like very integrated parts of our experience. But it's not something that a like a gay man who just has been like struggling with same sex sexual attraction has had to think about. There's Mm -hmm. no automatic connection to the trans experience aside from maybe saying, oh, I guess I, I know what it's like to be dismissed and my experience not to be welcome to be talked about so it hopefully makes us more open to just listening to people to understand what people mean when they say trans yeah and i think that's been the yeah there's not agreement on how people feel about pronouns or how to Mm -hmm. talk about it but it's been educational for me to even learn that in a similar way that when people say they're gay and it is just talking about their sexual orientation for some trans people. It can just be talking about gender dysphoria and Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that they've sought to resolve that, you know, with or without therapy with or without, you know, changing of appearances, et cetera. And so it's a complex topic that there's definitely, I think a lot of, still just learning and engaging in the side B community. Some who've already come to maybe certain conclusions and are wanting to advocate for those, but a lot of people who it's still just very new to. Yeah, so true. So true. Kind of related to that, another kind of division even of the side B community is 
we don't have a common idea on how the Christian influence should be on the common life as a polity in our contexts. For example, some of us think that the Christian marriage ethic is should be the, the, the ethic of a society, right? It should be instantiated in law or policy as this is how society should be. Others kind of prefer the liberal democratic contemporary like secular model where it, the regime of marriage is many things. So the former, the a side B person who fits that former side of it would uh-huh. say, oh, I'm side B, but I still want enforced straight marriages and even potentially laws against you know, same-sex sexual behavior, depending on how strong they're like Christian. That makes me mandate. nervous, but yeah, <laughs> that makes me nervous. But, but but you see the difference, though. Some some people think that the, the Christian Christian sexual ethic is the best human sexual ethic. You know, and like that's the right way, and society should recognize that. Insofar as Jesus is the King of Kings and Lords of Lords, the Lords and Kings of the Earth should recognize His way. You know, otherwise they're very distant. They're almost diabolical. They're not walking in God's way at all. Others again are just like well, like it's more, it's different. It's just it's there's differences in like key theological, theopolitical sensibilities and ideas that how Christianity should relate. To. Others who will very much more actively even promote gay marriage existing in success yes. society, even though that they are side B and don't sub gay marriages in the church or for themselves, but yes, they see it right. as part of a political either just freedom. And uh, you're right. moving away from Christian reign of terror or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but and this even touches the trans. There's questions on how trans the trans experience should fit into social life or public life. And there's differences on that as well. But this is just another key difference. We don't usually engage in much in conversation, but it underlies a lot of our I, I think it underlies some of our different topics or conversations yeah, I think we talk about. Most side B conversations so. are kind of our Often people are more in the neutral. There's probably not a whole lot of people spending time arguing for this like strong, yeah, Christian imposition of the moral order. But there are definitely differences there. There definitely are. I have, yeah, I have lots of thoughts on that, but we're going to move on. <laughs> Next, we don't necessarily agree on subject partnerships as a type of relationship. Because like for me, I'm very pro- that I'm existing, and that in some ways puts me closer to one wing of the side B, but it's others who are very nervous about them as occasions for sin, basically. Which I, this is something I hope we can get more clarity on as a community, because yeah, there are certain ways that people articulate a celibate partnership that I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem like it has a lot of good roots, or it doesn't have much integrity or foundation. And other ways that I'm like, how could people even be suspicious of this? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I won't get into now, but I, so I do hope we can get a lot of it is just clarity on intent, clarity on meaning. And yeah, I would think that a celibate partnership that's more so under the umbrella of covenant brotherhood sure, uh, should be really healthily engaged though. Yeah. hundred percent. I do. still actually, I do still have questions about, what is the goal of celibacy and how does that just tie in with like commitments and vows? But any of my, anyways, there's just lots of questions of like monastic orders yeah. and how they handle celibacy and partnerships. And don't worry, David Frank and also listeners will engage this question. More so, so many good questions about it, but I do <laughs> hope we can get to some increasing unity on things around celibate partnerships. I'll also say, I'm just going to yeah wrap us up. What are, I'll wrap this up. 
we also just have the general differences that happen in communities, like the difference in racial politics or sometimes social solidarity, how we handle representation of one another, other things, just those general human things. So that's kind of the, a key point. And basically, so in some sense, we are united on our key things, but we are not a monolith. And this is similar to most human groups who have somehow have common objects of love a common agreement on certain things. They may have these things, but they're not a monolith. And in some sense, you could say we have different wings of our broad school of thought. So anyways, we had a discussion on what unites us and what divides us. Now I could ask, why does this, why does recognizing this matter? Yeah. Well, for, so for anyone who's listening, I just, I think it helps you perceive the reality of things and recognize the complexity of our school of thought, our movement, our community, that in some ways we are, like we're united and divided. It also, second point, I think it helps you recognize that side B, we're like a focused, a minimalist school of thought. Like we, we're not a maximalist. We don't agree on everything. I don't try to mandate this, a very large set of many things everyone must agree on. But we have a core agreement, like a coalition on a few things. And we don't have a singular fully position on every topic or point we may want to talk about, even if we have a core unity in general. I'm just thinking about that. Like, you know, it's almost lowest common denominator and just like what are our key issues let's unite around those and mm -hmm. that's why there's i would i want to like win side y people into side b of like hey you don't have to agree with some other side b people on how they engage queer culture but you can you at least just give yourself to some openness around how people use this language yeah. and thus you know come into the side B umbrella and, and be kind of that side B Y person. And even side X people who are like really love healing. So this is like Neo side X that I think exists mm -hmm. that of like, Hey, just give up on trying to make people straight and come underneath the side B umbrella. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of room for you to be, you know, there's a lot of room under the side B umbrella and I want people to come together and, basically an under like Christian truthfulness and faithfulness mm -hmm. so that we can be having productive conversations and work together rather than having to continue to waste time on these, like as a side B person, these blockades or barriers that sometimes get yeah. more focused than are needed. Just the point to add to that. I want like side Y and side X to recognize that theology is contextual and the Christian life is contextual meaning we're, we're, we're being faithful in particular contexts. We're supposed to be rooted in certain contexts. And that allows our faithfulness to actually be faithful to God, first of all, but second, connect with other people in our communities that we're supposed to be working with or working among. So there's also that fine, kind of a final point. Like I said, we are, we are a notable school of thought that's broadly united on key points. We share core beliefs, core sensibilities. And that, I think that allows us to talk about side B theology or theologies that emerge from our work because we do have enough unity to do so. And I think that's an important realization to realize that we are united enough to produce our own ways of thinking, our own theologies, as we try to be faithful to God, basically. In my opinion, all communities, all sub-communities, subcultures, whatever you might say, it's good if they produce their own theologies because their, their experiences, their ways of thinking, their cultural values are often not reflected in dominant theological frameworks, right? So they add to the church by 
opening the conversation, seeing where God is faithful in ways the dominant church often doesn't recognize or doesn't know about. So, yeah. So I think we our unity also allows us to add something because we are from a different perspective. We add something to the whole church and faithfulness. We bring the gifts that we have to God in faithfulness. And that's I think that's a key thing that's good about us and what we're trying to do in the contemporary church and the contemporary world around a very difficult topic that is impacting the whole world about Christ, the Christian faith and sex and human anthropology, theological anthropology, human anthropology. So we're, we're at an edge of important conversation for the church. And I wish more people would recognize it, but I mean, their own evaluation of us changes how they think about this, but we're doing something that I think is helpful for the whole church. So let me try this out on you. Side sure. B theology is mm-hmm. united enough to encourage the church in Christian faithfulness, but yes. diverse enough to be having lovingly constructive, critical conversations within the community. Love it. <laughs> Thank you, David Frank. It's so good. All those things are true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should we should wrap up after that great statement. <laughs> okay, well, we'll end there. Thanks, listeners, if you've joined us this far. And we hope you have a good rest of your day. Feel free to support us on Patreon if you want to both support these conversations happening as well as engage in kind of more feedback into where this podcast should go. But for any listeners, we welcome any feedback, any questions. Don't hesitate to reach out to us. Yeah, and we launched an Instagram page recently. So if you're on Instagram, please consider following us. There's some right, there's some fun little pictures and videos. I'm easily amazed by what Elena is doing on there. So check it yeah, out. Our <laughs> podcast manager is great. Check it out. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye. Hey, listeners. I want to let you know about the Communion and Shalom Patreon. Joining the Patreon community not only supports this podcast, but gives you the opportunity to listen to bonus content, give input on future episodes, and submit questions for a patron-only Q&A. We're so thankful for the support and encouragement from so many listeners, and we hope that this podcast continues to be meaningful to you.